going to trust him. So anyway, Isaac here knows what God said. The blessing goes to who? It goes to Jacob. That's what the Lord said to Rebekah and to him. The blessing goes to Jacob. Isaac knows that, but who is it that Isaac loves? Esau. And so this public grand event, Isaac is saying, hey, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's work a deal. You go get me some food. You get me some of that stuff I love and cook me up something good to eat. And then you come here and I'll pass the blessing on to you privately. Knowing that if he were to try this publicly, that it would be war in the house with Rebecca. Knowing that's the case. So here, Isaac is scheming himself. He's scheming over again the, against the plans of God. He's trying to bless Esau privately, quietly, in a normal public way. In other words, what Isaac truly is doing is he's defying God's will. That's the real problem. He's defying the word of God because God has spoken. Here's how it's going to be. And Isaac is seeking to defy that by passing on the blessing over against what God has said to his son Esau, whom he loved. He's seeking to defy it. Now, we can look at this and go, uh, you know, that's, that's harsh. Isaac's seeing this as his firstborn, and, and so it, this is the right thing for him to do. So he, he probably wants to do this. He probably wants to, to it's going to be a hard conversation. So he's trying to say, hey, son, I love you. I'm going to do this. This is what they said. But what Isaac is doing ultimately is he is defying the very direct will of God. And he's scheming in a way, knowing that if he does this, it's going to cause chaos in the family. It's going to cause crazy. So he's got to do it in a scheming way. And isn't that usually the case? If y'all want to just be honest, when you plan to sin, now there's some sins we do, right, that just kind of happen upon us. We know that. But there's also times when we make a plan for those things. And when you plan to sin, you pl don't plan to do it in an open and celebrated way normally for us, for the believer. Now, surely those who are lost and of the world, they don't mind it. They don't care. But for those who truly know God's word, how do we normally plan to sin? We do it in a quiet way. Our problem is private sins normally, not public. Our problem is, is, is hiding those things. And so here is Isaac who knows what God's word is and he schemes and he does it in a quiet way. But what's Isaac after? Isaac is trying to feed his appetite, right? Tell you what, let's do. Cook me up some vittles. Y'all know what that is. Make me something good to eat like I love. Let's work a deal. And here Isaac is feeding his very appetites. In order, in order to get what he wants, he wants to give to Esau. Now, I wanted you to note that that's not some small thing. I'm not making that in just some trivial way. Flip with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're getting ready this Sunday. I'm excited starting the process and going through the book of Philippians over the next several weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. But look, look at this. Has this caught my attention even today in Philippians Chapter 3, I got the right verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19.
Paul is making the argument as we press on in, in verse 12 of chapter 3. Press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. So you're seeking to obtain what is right. So he's pressing on for uprightness and righteousness. And then he says down in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Look at verse 19. How does Paul describe those who were enemies of Christ? Their end is destruction. Their God is what? Their stomachs. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame when mind on earthly things. Those who walk as opposed to Christ, it says their God is their belly. What is he trying to make here? He's trying to say, he doesn't just mean food is their God and they bow down to food, although some may. What he's saying is they just give into all of their appetites. Whatever it is they desire, that's what the world does. Instead of controlling your appetite and longing for the things of God, you just give into all of your appetites, whatever they may be, right? The question for us sometimes in our appetites is not, is it natural? Sometimes we excuse our worldly appetites for things just simply saying, well, that's natural. It's just who we are. The question is not, is it natural? The question is, is it godly? Is this what God has for me? Is this what God's designed? So we control our appetites and what we long for and what we desire. And we place them even under the Lordship of Christ. And whenever our appetites get out of balance and we let our appetites determine who we are and what we long for, then we end up making serious mistakes and scheming over against God himself and his word. When we let our appetites dominate us, we scheme against the Lord. And that's exactly what Isaac's doing. His appetite, literally, his appetite is driving his passion, is driving his decisions. You bring me some good vittles, I'll give you the blessing that surely doesn't belong to you because God has said it's your brother's, but I'm still going to give it to you every way. We'll work out this deal. So before we look at Jacob and just go, what a deceiver, we need to recognize that Isaac was working a plan to deceive as well. And then the next character introduced in verse 5 is Rebecca. Because I love this thing about Rebecca. Y'all get Rebecca in here. I'm not going to talk bad about the ladies, but y'all see what Rebecca's doing. She's listening at the door. Y'all know Rebecca. Huh? Y'all know Rebecca. She's no dummy. You know what I'm saying? She's played plenty of hands of five crown card games. Y'all know what I'm saying. Talking about my mom right there. So Rebecca here is scheming. Rebecca is listening at the door. She knows the situation. She knows that Isaac loves Esau. They're in the room together. Let me go hear what's going on. So Rebecca is listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game, Rebecca's got a plan of her own. In this family, there's zero trust, right? I mean, Rebecca's at the door listening in. You only do that when you're scared of what they're talking about. Isaac doesn't trust Rebecca because he didn't want to bring up the fact that he's going to bless Esau even though he knows he shouldn't. So he doesn't want her to know. She's listening at the door because she don't trust Isaac. This is not a good situation, is it? She doesn't trust Isaac, so she's listening at the door. Esau and Jacob don't like each other anyway because one of them, I'm sure Esau thinks Jacob's a sissy mama's boy. You know, he's a quiet man, whatever. 
And then, and, then, and then Jacob's looking at Esau as some just wild animal hunter who has no sophistication whatsoever. And so here you got a family of chaos going on and it's played out in how all of them start acting. Rebecca said to her son, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. How'd you do that, mom? I was listening in through the door handle. <laughs> Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command to you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats. The mom, Rebecca, she is nothing to play with here. She got a plan. So listen to the plan as it's hatched. She goes out, gets some animals, takes off the skin, covers. And I'm, I bet Rebecca did all this because Jacob's a sissy. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's just me assuming. <laughs> covers up everything, puts together some food, does all of these things. And I love this in verse 16. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on his smooth part of his neck. You see what I'm saying? This man shaves his neck. And so put delicious food and bread before him, prepared the hand here before Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to the father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. They're twins. I'm sure maybe their voices were the same, whatever. Here's, here's sad old Isaac sitting in the bed. I've done to you as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, my mom is a killer. And no, that's not, that's not a here. Look at how bad Jacob does here. Jacob's even going to drag the Lord into his sin. Y'all see how this works? Whenever we go into sin, we like to pull everybody down with us, right? And so even here, Jacob says, how did you do it? Because the Lord, your God has granted me success. Here is Rebecca plotting with her son, Jacob, to deceive the father, Isaac, and they even bring the Lord into this. Here, sometimes some of the commentators have compared Rebecca to Rahab, but I don't think that's the case. Rahab, remember, was in Jericho uh, with the spies and she hid the spies and laid it out to protect them. And so maybe she had such a dilemma that she had to lie or to, to hide them so they would be protected. And so, so it is with Rebecca. Rebecca's got such a dilemma. She's got to knowing that God had said her son should be the one to receive the blessing. But Isaac's about to do this to Esau. So she's got to deal with this. And so she's the upright one. But that's not the case that's going on here. Instead of trusting the Lord to carry out his plan, Rebecca dives in. It's the same situation, I would say, as Moses. Whenever God says to Moses, I'm going to, to deliver the people, and what does Moses do? He rises up and takes a rock and kills one of them, right? And when he kills one of the Egyptians, having seen them mistreat, what happens to Moses? Forty years, he's got to go away. Forty years he goes off into the land of Midian, right? Forty years he stays away. And you see what's going to happen here. Rebecca is plotting to get her son the blessing, and she is going to sin and scheme and do everything she can, even get the Lord involved in the sin, do whatever it takes, and bring it about. But this plotting of sin never works out how we think it's going to work out. 
I'm sure she thought this is going to work. We'll get it. It'll be over. But the disobedience always leads to rockiness. And the son she loves, the son she loves, that she's getting the blessing for, that she cherishes, guess what she's about to have to do to him? Send him away and she never speaks to him again. You see, she has to send him away. Why? Because of the sin and the deception. The family's about to dissipate. You think it's going to work out the way you think it's going to work out, but it never works out to that good because you're not doing what God has called you to do. And here, here, she's going to lose her son even through the deception. Jacob. Jacob's no child. I mean, Jacob's at this point about probably 70 years old. So he's no child in this thing, right? That's what some have estimated. He's, his, his father has grown old. He is here. Jacob is at this point someone who is old, and yet he is simply obeying his mama. Even when she tells him to scheme. Jacob's not trusting the Lord. He's not following after him. And here he's going to deny, he's going to deny the, the, the call of his father. He's going to lie to him straight in the face. He's going to drag God into him and it's going to cost him as well. In fact, remember what the Lord said, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. But it's only going to come if you flip over. And we got a couple chapters to get there. But it's only going to come in chapter 23 whenever Jacob has to bow down himself to Esau, beg for his life. You see that and he has to humble himself in verse 3 of chapter 33. And so ultimately you see all of this plotting and scheming is not going to work out how they thought it was going to work out. In the end, in the end, you see, Jacob will be blessed. He's going to receive the blessing from Isaac. He's going to do it. Bring it near to me. He feels his, his old, I mean, this Esau must have been a hairy dude. I mean, he just killed some, some animals and put the skins on him. He feels him. Oh, this is, thought he didn't have any shirt on or anything. He ate, he drank. He blesses, kisses, and blesses Jacob. The blessing should go to Jacob, but just like Sarah before Rebecca, like her mother-in-law, just in the same way, she takes matters into her own hands and thinks she knows better than God. And just like the pain that occurred through Hagar and Ishmael, the same pain is going to occur here. Because even while God's plan works out according to God's word, whenever we don't follow him in obedience, it's always going to lead to distress and heartache, upset nature for us, right? God's plan is going to come to pass. The question is, do we follow in obedience or do we receive the repercussions of it? Do we receive the, the repercussions of it? So God's plan continues to work. But the family falls apart. The family falls apart. And it falls apart at the moment, ultimately, that Esau and Isaac realize it. So over in chapter 30, I mean, chapter, uh, chapter 27, verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. At this point, Isaac's probably thinking, uh-oh. His father answered, who are you? 
He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Verse 33, someone has called this Isaac's conversion. Not necessarily meaning that he was converted from death to life in this, but it converted into realizing of his sin. Realizing his failure, realizing his own scheming and coming to some sense of repentance. Because what he says, he says, then Isaac trembled very violently. Isaac's reaction is to tremble. Isaac's reaction is to recognize in and of his own self that he has done wrong. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it before you came in? I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And he shall be blessed. In other words, Isaac realized who it was. He realized what had happened and he realized he can't take it back. That even though the scheming took place and Isaac thought he was going to have Jacob and Rebekah and scheme them, he was out-schemed. So they out-schemed the schemer. Y'all see what happened? And out-scheming the schemer, Isaac realized, even I think in this moment, that he had failed to follow God's word. That God had accomplished exactly what God said he would accomplish, and it was not with Isaac. And Isaac realized his own failure, and even he shakes violently, he says, in some sense of this repentance. And then next, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob, deceiver? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. And I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? What's happened here is what God said will happen and should happen. If Isaac and Rebekah had followed the command of God in the right way, what we should know is that God always works it out in this way. If they had, they may have preserved their family. They may have taught Esau to understand the word of God and to accept this position and fall in the line to God's word because God has commanded it and it's what's best for you, Esau. They may have worked it out, but instead, because of their scheming, their family has exploded, right? And it goes down. In verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will what? Kill him. I will kill him. Now, I want to notice something here. And I, I, I want to use, and we, we, we're about done, but I want to use scripture. As I said, the best interpreter of scripture is what? Yes. So Hebrews chapter 12, we refer to this last week, and some have struggled with this passage because of what it says. In Hebrews chapter 12, there in verse 12, 
Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may be put out of joint, but what but rather be may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, some have struggled with that, as, as if Esau is trying to repent and God won't let him. Right? And what we see here, I think, is something different happening in Genesis 27. So as we put these two together and Scripture interprets Scripture, what the Scripture is saying here is that when Esau comes and he cries out with exceedingly great and bitter cry, we shouldn't be sympathizing with him, but we should learn from him. That's what Hebrews is telling us. Don't come and say, poor Esau, they schemed against him and he lost his blessing. He lost his birthright. But remember, he's the one that didn't consider his birthright worth a bowl of beans, right? He's the one that didn't care about the promises of God and was willing to give them all up just for a single meal. He's the one who thought that was useless to him and he wanted something right now that would fill him and satisfy him. He was the one that was led by his belly, his own appetites, right? That was Esau. And then whenever the scheme didn't work out because he knew that he should receive the blessing in a ceremony that's public so all can see. He knew what should be happening. And whenever his dad and his scheme about this meal and the blessing didn't work out in private, he knew he had been had. He was scheming and he was out schemed because his brother's a schemer himself. And we'll deal with Jacob a little bit later, but he knew he had been had. And what Hebrews is telling us is that we shouldn't sympathize for him, but we should learn from him. Don't be like Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Don't be like him. There are choices in life that once we do them, they cannot be undone. There are choices in life that once we make them, we cannot unmake them. And when we make them, we will have to live with the consequences of them. You're going to live with it. And every one of us in here are living with the consequences of our choices, right? And that's what he's saying. When your choices go against God's word, don't be surprised when it falls apart before you. Don't be surprised when you get out schemed. Don't be surprised when it doesn't work out your way because God's plan will work out. And what we've been called to do is simply be obedient to God's plan. And in obedience to God's plan, that's the only place we're going to find peace and comfort and joy and all the things we long for. Outside of it is going to lead to pain. And the choices that this family made from Isaac to Rebekah to Jacob to Esau leads to their whole family being torn into pieces. And Esau here made these decisions and it could not be undone. And what he offers, I think, is the point of Hebrews 12. What he offers is not true repentance of all. And hear me when I say this. Tears can come for many different reasons. And so when we look to repentance, tears really mean nothing, as one commentator says. Esau wept, but his tears were of frustration. 
His tears were of his own selfishness. He had been outdone and he had lost what he wanted. His tears were of frustrated selfishness and not of genuine regret for the wrongs he committed. True repentance is turning away from sin, right? Turning away from sin and turning toward Christ and longing for him. True repentance says that our appetites of our belly, our worldly appetites are not what govern us or determine who we are, that we put those under subjection of the Lordship of Christ and he's who we follow. True repentance points us to Christ. What you see here with Esau is what I would call false repentance or what the world, maybe the term as C. John Miller has a great book called uh, uh, Repentance in the 20th Century Man. Y'all may think, well, that's old. Man hadn't changed, right? In this issue, by the way, he redid it. Repentance in the 21st century man changed a few words. So he says penance and penance is the counterfeit of true repentance. And what you see with penance is what we see oftentimes. If you've got kids, you may have been down this road, right? You see oftentimes because penance, unlike true repentance, penance centers on what man does, not what God does. It looks at your own life. And what penance looks after is self-justification. And what you look to do in, true, in, in, in penance is you look in, in this counterfeit is you look to baptize your own sins. You justify yourself. You give an excuse for your own sins. You say, Lord, here's why I did it. Just understand why I did it. Bless me in spite of my sinfulness. Look, I know I did it, but you got to understand why. Esau could have thrown this out. You got to know Jacob's a deceiver, God. He's, you got to know why I did this because look at who I'm dealing with. But God doesn't tell us to look at what we do. He says to look at what he does. Counterfeit repentance focuses on what man sees and feels within himself. Counterfeit repentance is man-centered. It's how we feel about ourselves, how we can justify ourselves, our own emotions, our own thoughts, our own feelings, True repentance is God-centered, not worried about how we feel about it, but how God feels about it. Not worried about how we justify our sinfulness, but looking at our own life and our own actions according to God's word and God-centeredness. False repentance leaves the sinner powerless and imprisoned. Look at Esau. He comes here and he is powerless in this, imprisoned in this. He has no freedom where true repentance is true freedom. Those who are in Christ are truly free. Why is it? Because we don't worry anymore. If I'm in Jesus, I'm not sweating my worldly birthright, right? I'm not concerned about the blessing that belongs to me on this life. If I'm in Christ, I know I find my rest in him. True repentance looks to what Christ has done and what he's accomplished on my behalf, not what I've accomplished here, what I need here. Esau finally, a counterfeit repentance, seeks out a human priest other than Christ. Esau pleads with his father to help him. Intercede on my behalf, dad. Come in on for me. And Isaac has no power to help him. So it is with a false repentance that whenever we are trying to think, you know, we've been caught, we didn't get what we want, justify our own self, feel good even in our own sins. Whenever we do that, we look to somebody to make us feel better about it. Understand, you need to know that Josh Powell cannot forgive you of any of your sins, right? 
that you don't need to come to me. I'm happy to walk you through this. And my role and job is to help take you straight to the one who can help you, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who intercedes for us. He's the only one who can take away our sins. He's the only one who can fix our troubles, who can change our problems and take what we screwed up and make it right again. That's the whole point of Revelation 21. Everything that was wrong, he is taking and undoing it and making it right. He's the only one that can do it. True repentance points us to Christ, not man-centered, God-centered. Not looking on how we feel about it, but how does God feel about our sin? Not recognizing in any way, in any way, that we're concerned about our own, our own position in life. We're only wanting to be in the Lord. You see, this, this passage is a lot like the one of the prodigal son, right? And what you have here, even with Esau, is the older brother scenario. In the prodigal son, the older brother didn't give a flying rip about his dad either. He just wanted his inheritance. The prodigal asked for it first. Hey, let me have it. He goes off and spins it and just gets rid of it and wastes it away, right? The older brother, he just stays close just waiting on dad to die. And whenever the younger son comes home and dad starts spinning up the money, what does the older brother say? That's my money. I don't care about him. I don't care about him. And so you see the same thing here. Esau is not coming with true repentance. He's not coming looking to the Lord. He's coming, he's coming to justify his own actions. He's coming to look for some peace and have his own sins be baptized, not to turn from them. And how do we finally know it? Finally, true repentance will lead to action that glorifies God and honors him. What does Esau do? Tell you what, he's crying out, he's weeping bitterly. You think he's upset about this? He's truly repentant? No. As soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill that sissy Jacob. I'm going to kill him as soon as he dies. Does that sound like he's sad about his sin? True repentance will be reflected in a life that glorifies and honors the Lord that it turns to, Right? I think this is an important topic for us because the scriptures say in order for us to be saved, we have to what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And oftentimes nowadays, that idea of repentance gets pushed aside because it's not so socially acceptable. I'm telling you, here's the preacher's job. I'm telling you, that not only are you wrong, everything about you is screwed up, right? Every part of it. There's not any aspect of our life that has not been affected by sin. There's not any part of us, not our mind, our actions, our body, all of us. We are crooked deep down. And the Bible says our hearts are darker than anything you can possibly imagine. The Bible says it's the hearts that are the real problem. They are the ones affected by sin. And in order for us to know salvation in life, we have to repent. We have to turn from our own selves and trust in God alone. Not justify our sins, but admit they're sinful, admit the damage they've done, and admit they're sending us to hell. We have to admit that. Not only that, 
We've got to understand that we can never self-justify these things, that we can never try to attempt to negotiate with God how we are going to live based upon our own feelings and emotions, that God is calling us to follow after Him and to bring all of our feelings, emotions, appetites, everything under His Lordship. That's what repentance means. Repentance means we recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. He's Lord over us, not ourselves. Repentance means we don't look to anybody else. There's no earthly priest. There's no great-grandma. There is no sweet person in this church that you can turn to and have them forgive your sins. It's only Christ. And you look to Him. There's no other mediator for us. It's only Him. And the author of Hebrews says, don't look at Esau and go, God, he got a raw deal. No, that joker was a sinner that was scheming all the same, and he just got out-schemed. Don't be like Esau, is what the author of Hebrews says. Learn this lesson. Don't be like him. Recognize that the promises of God are more precious than any bowl of beans you can possibly find. Recognize there's nothing in this life that's going to bring you more joy than Christ Jesus himself. Recognize that. Don't be like Esau. Don't continue to make these decisions that turn you away from Christ. Choose to follow after him and go toward him, right? And don't think your tears are enough. You see, in Isaac, you see repentance. He shivers, he quakes, he knows his sin was great. He knows the consequences of it. And he says, I'm following after because that's right. I'm doing what God wanted. Don't be like Esau. Don't be like Esau. Trust completely in the only one who can free you from the imprisonment of your sin, Christ Jesus our Lord. Learn that lesson, the author of Hebrews says. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time in it. Every story, every passage, every verse points us to a Savior that is gracious and kind to us, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so may all of us see him tonight. Grace that comes from Christ that is greater than all of our sins. Just as we sang this past Sunday, our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. That's the one we're talking about. Help us to repent, truly repent. See, our life is in God's hands. Turn from our own selfish distractions, God, our own justifications, and turn to the only one who can forgive us, trusting in him. And in Christ, Jesus our Lord, we will find the freedom we long for and the joy, the joy that we desire. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We'll see y'all this Sunday. Philippians, looking forward to it. Hope you are.